Pride Nation 101. You have just stumbled onto Pride Nation 101. Queer music, stories, opinions, and lives from Mendocino County and beyond. I'm Roland Corey Medina. And I'm Chad Swimmer. Welcome. Welcome to episode two of Pride Nation 101. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Today we're going to be talking about genderqueer, the book, and the lives. We will hear from Santa Rosa-based family medical practitioner, Dr. Carla Longchamp, about working with transgender youth. We are going to be hearing from a number of local youth about pronouns and how to be an ally. After that, we're going to be speaking with two gay women who have been together for over 30 years. Sarah Malpin, a retired licensed social worker, and Barbara Wexler, a retired attorney. They adopted way back in 1991 and got married much more recently. We're going to talk to them about the adoption process and also about why they decided at such a late date to get married. Roland, good to be back here with you on Pride Nation 101. So what is it with this book, Gender Queer? Uh, the author is now claiming to be called the most banned author in the world, the author of the most banned book in the world. Wow. That is Maya Kobabe. And they wrote a book that has been blamed for some Republican victories in certain southern states. But... I don't think that's a fair characterization, and I don't think we can get into that because that's an area of political analysis, but what's with the book in general? Have you read this book, Roland? I have. I read it through. Um, a couple of months ago, I decided to look it up because I heard that it was getting banned in school districts across the South and even going as far up North as Maryland. Even in Washington, there's some school districts that are getting very mad about it. Of course, I had to read it myself to see what was going on. I heard that it was a gender memoir, a novel about the author's life, discovering who they are and their whole journey into coming out to the world as genderqueer. Hmm. That sounds great, but it's being called pornography. They'll, well, yeah. <laughs> it is a graphic novel, which means there's a little bit of a more graphic depiction. So it's kind of like a graphic graphic novel. It, it very literally is. But you, as an 18-year-old, do you think this is an appropriate book for people to have in schools? Well, that's a hard one. I personally, since being 13, I have seen some of the books in my school's libraries. I flipped through some of them, and they were very popular amongst my classmates because they did contain a little bit about sex or drugs or alcohol. <sighs> Can you believe it? Oh, man. <laughs> and, of course, we were, what... Yeah, the youngest I've been was middle school, and a group of my friends was crowding around. We had our weekly time in the library. We were reading through this book that talked about this girl having anal sex for the first time. And, of course, it was like a short snippet, but everybody could not believe that these books were even allowed anywhere near a 12-year-old. Well, I don't want to get too much into the debate over sex ed, even though you probably can imagine where I stand, but... This book sounds, is it something you would recommend that adults read? Yes, it is. Could you summarize it for us? I'd love to. Uh, it came out in 2019. Author's name is Maya Kobabe, pronouns are A.M. Air, which is like they, them, there, without the T-H. Hmm. Which is excellent, in my opinion. It's new, it's great, it's fresh, it's wonderful. You gain nothing from being a jerk about not respecting these pronouns. You just get a couple of very confused people trying their best. I hope my Kobabe can understand. <laughs> these pronouns are new to me as well, so I'll certainly be one of those people stumbling over them and acting a little confused. But hopefully everybody will understand that even people with the best of intentions don't always get things right. It's about Maya growing up as a little girl and living in a very, very hippie family. Like, the, the required classes at the school was uh, were blacksmithing ceramics gardening i believe uh, i think textiles was mentioned uh basically very hippie things you know <laughs> it's a waldorf school it's a waldorf school exactly maya as a little girl started noticing things that were a little bit different about him because they wanted to take a wanted excuse me to take their shirt off like a boy and when they were told they couldn't 
it was very confusing for them. And it, it was little moments like that that led to him really trying to redefine themselves and going to college and meeting new people and having relationships that they had, especially with family members included, with their sister, who they were very close to. They kind of talked things through and realized that these pronouns are the ones for them. This title, genderqueer, is the one for M. And it goes into discovering our sexuality as well as our gender. And one of the bits that's making Republicans very mad is um, being a graphic novel. There's drawings of the author, you know, using a vibrator to discover do they even like this sensation they do not <laughs> there's no drawings of them using the vibrator it's just the vibrator and then i give it to her sister it's not that graphic it's really not that graphic the most graphic thing that i can think of is a drawing of the author maya kababe wearing a strap-on and there's a woman on her knees sucking on the strap-on yeah <laughs> well that's quite a sight i will say that <laughs> that could push some buttons. It definitely could. And it's, you know, I would imagine, I would hope that it's high school libraries and not like middle school or elementary school libraries holding these books because that is sexual. That is pretty graphic. I got to add in that back in the 90s, I was working for Mendocino County Public Health and I rolled my share of condoms onto bananas in front of high schoolers. <laughs> so. You can only imagine that it's not the worst thing. Well, high schoolers are the people more likely to get some use out of information like that. I was looking at this book myself and um, really liked what I read. There's a page I just want to read a little bit of, and it's a, a picture of a plant. And on the stem, it says non-binary. And at the top it says, this seed put out many leaves, but I didn't have the language to identify the plant. And then a leaf says, I wish I had a gender neutral name. I feel like something's wrong with me. I wish I was a boy. I hate my breasts. I never want to have sex. I never want kids. I wish I had short hair. That, that is something that I would have hung up on my wall when I was younger. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I relate to so strongly in this book. And that's really what, uh, why I would recommend people read this book is because it shows how little you can be and how you cannot have the language to describe yourself, but you can also be older and not know anything about being transgender and having this internal struggle, not realizing that it is because you are portraying a different person than you were meant to be. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, I, I think we should probably try to define a few things for people. And one is just, what does genderqueer mean? Do you think we should ask Google and then see if we decide that we agree or not? How about I, all right, I will be the control group. Okay. And then you can Google the definition and I'll go first. Okay. I have heard genderqueer as an umbrella term, first of all, uh, just like non-binary can be used as an umbrella term, but it is mostly serving as an ambiguous title. You're not really male. You're not really female. You're not necessarily non-binary because people are also claiming that as a quote unquote third gender on its own. And genderqueer is a little bit of a sweet spot. It's either excluding all of those or including all three of those all at once. It mostly depends on the person. All right, Roland, that was your definition. Now let's hear what Google has to say. The term genderqueer means someone who does not follow binary gender norms. They may be non-binary, agender, pangender, genderfluid, or another gender identity. That artificial intelligence sounds very tired, if you ask me. Mm, yeah. What do you think of the definition, though? That sounds like actually what I've heard non-binary to be defined as, hmm. interestingly enough. Maybe we should start switching those terms around to say ladies, gentlemen, and genderqueer people. I kind of feel like genderqueer means not conforming to the binary norms of gender. Maybe that's what the artificial dude said, right? There's a, a list of many, many different names, and this is our different categorizations. And this is from somebody named Diane Aronsaft, who 
sites gender ambidextrous children, gender smoothies, gender queer youth, agender youth, proto gay children, proto transgender youth, gender Tootsie Roll Pops, gender hybrids, gender Priuses, gender Tauruses, gender by season, gender by location. Why does this matter? I think kids are going to love it if they realize they can identify as a freaking Tootsie Pop. <laughs> I think so too. But if we're saying gender queer and for a long time the the gay liberation movement was trying hard to reconcile with the word queer. I think younger queer people identify more as queer, but we could hear about that from a few other people. I think that's an excellent idea. We just want to acknowledge the people who are contributing to this show. And we have coming up voices of Isaac Fishman, Amari Fishman, Leiden Potter, Adrian Taylor, Fava, and a few others who choose to remain anonymous. I appreciate the word queer because it includes as many different people as possible so we can work together towards collective liberation. To me, queer means attack. It means living in opposition to the dominant culture, and it means envisioning and defining, going about our partnerships, our families, our friendships, based not on what society expects from us, but based on our own desires and needs and on open communication with the people we love. Um, I know the like actual definition is weird or out of the ordinary, and I think it fits very well for the whole like LGBTQIA community because it's different than the normal. And I think it's fine. Um, I think that if, I mean, some people identify as like queer or gender queer, and I think that's okay if you want to identify as that, but I don't know if I would like someone to like call me queer because it seems it's like it's more used in like a put down way when people say it. I mean, some people have turned it into like a word that they're proud about, but I don't know if I'd like to be called it. And how do you identify? Oh, I identify as gender queer. How old were you when you first felt that you didn't fit in the gender that you were born in? Five. Where did you live then? I lived in California, L.A. L.A.? Yeah. Did you get support from your family? At five, no. I, it was before anyone really had this kind of concept or the, the ways of supporting their own children in this way. It wasn't really a concept until later, I think. That's the feedback I've gotten from my mom anyway. <laughs> to kind of let your child be who they're going to be first before teaching them kind of who they who they could the options who they could be or something yeah did you see any role models gender queer role models um just older kids who didn't go with the gender binary as much or expectations of their gender male or female rather i didn't see very many positives this is Pride Nation 101, every first Friday of the month at 7 p.m. But tell your friends that they can find the archived versions at kzyx.org. So, what do we all have in common? What does a 70-year-old gay man and a 60-year-old gay woman have in common with an 18-year-old transgender young person? My first thought that comes to mind is we bleed red. We're all humans. We all got bodies. We all deserve respect. We all deserve to be loved. Yeah. But what do we have in common as part of a liberation movement? We're fighting for freedom and for safety and for happiness and to be free of judgment. Yeah, I think the judgment's the crucial part that, you know, why we are marginalized people is because society looks at us all in the same light. That, you know, a woman who dates women, a woman who marries women is just as wrong in some people's eyes as a person who decides at five that they're not the gender they were born into. At the end of the day, if somebody looks at me and thinks that I'm burning in hell for loving a man or for turning into a man, like, so be it. Like, I will save you a spot. But other people do not deserve to experience that because other people care about it so much. They don't want to be compared to the devil. They don't want to be compared to some monsters, and they don't deserve it. And I want to fight to make sure that nobody has to experience that in the future. Mm -hmm. There's a culture of transgender affirmation going on right now, which I think is really powerful. And 
at the same time, the backlash is, is that by people are claiming that by us affirming that transgender people have the right to do what they do and that young people have the right to choose their pronouns, that we are actually creating gender dysphoria. I got to say, that really throws me for a loop. <laughs> uh, thinking about it, it's, it's definitely a thinker. I'm trying to imagine it in terms of a point of view. Well, what is gender dysphoria anyway? Gender dysphoria is pain caused by not having your outside match your inside in the most simplest terms. Body dysmorphia, where you want and you feel like your body should be a certain way, but it is more because of it can come from a stem of stemming from self-esteem issues from self-hatred issues from depression and anxiety eating disorders body image issues personality disorders things like that gender dysphoria it's because your brain physically does not match your body we actually spoke to a doctor who has worked with many transgender youth transgender people and here are her thoughts about gender dysphoria so my name is carla longchamp i'm a family physician from sonoma county I am the medical director of a medium to large size community health center, one of the clinics there. And um, I have been caring for transgender youth since about 2010. I usually have um, several transgender youth in my practice at any one time. Mm -hmm. What made you want to start and continue working with transgender kids? One of my patients actually suggested that I attend a conference in um, Sonoma County that was really focused on um, uh, transgender uh, issues. It was kind of a general conference. There was a community component and also a medical component. And I heard some amazing stories about folks who were not comfortable in their bodies and um, and received medical treatment for that. And it changed their lives and um, helped them be happier and um, feel more comfortable in their bodies. I also heard stories about the high suicide rate in transgender youth, which is very scary. Um, and, um, and some evidence, and now there's lots of evidence that treatment, um, can reduce the risk of depression and, uh, suicidality. Have you ever watched anybody actually go through these surgeries and end up regretting them afterwards? No, not, I, I know that it, that it can happen, but no, I haven't had a, a patient of mine who regretted um, top or bottom surgery. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you so much for meeting with us. Okay, all right. Well, you guys, good luck. Good luck to you. That was Dr. Carla Longchamp. She is a family medical practitioner and medical director with the Providence Medical Group down in Santa Rosa. We're going to hear a lot more from her next month, and we're going to give a bunch of resources for people at the end of the show, so stay tuned. So going back to this idea of, of transgender affirmation and the backlash that I read and I saw somebody's Instagram account and I kind of followed into a rabbit hole where it seemed like people were claiming that the reason why so many younger transgender people were having suicidal ideations is because we had created a gender dysphoria in them because they we're being given an option that shouldn't exist in nature. And what do you feel about that? <laughs> My first thought is that's insane. And online, I've seen people say that, okay, well, now little Timmy is seeing all these transgenders and these drag queens and these gays, and he's not going to know what's up and what's down. He's not going to know what it means to be a boy. We've gone from people feeling like they're in the wrong body to medicalizing it. And that means not just dressing differently, but actually using hormones and getting surgery. And this is a pretty contentious issue, but I've been thinking a lot about this and human beings have been altering ourselves since time immemorial. 
with tattoos and burns and cultural scarification and cosmetic surgery. And people take offense at one or another expression of this, but only because they take offense at that particular expression of who a human being is. It's like how my body is not all I want it to be. Like I've said this before to my family members who have tried to convince me I can cut my hair, I can wear boy clothes, I can wear boy shoes, I can go by a boy name or change my physical appearance. And that's not enough. I needed me, who I am today, I needed to have a name. I needed to name myself something that I enjoyed that was male because I am a male and having a female name made me feel terrible. I needed to go by male pronouns because those are the ones that didn't want to make me pull my skin off whenever I heard them. And I need to have surgery because otherwise I will literally try to rip and tear my skin off if I don't get it within a few years. Mm -hmm. So we're getting into your journey and your journey started very young. But when did you feel like you wanted to transition? I was 12 going on 13. Um, there was a couple people in Willits, um, but there was one boy who kind of made me realize that I was transgender and bisexual because he was very flamboyant and he was open about thinking that boys were cute and he was very open about thinking that boys were pretty and that he was into them and he had boyfriends and girlfriends which honestly i had never heard of before i never <laughs> heard of a boy liking both and then this kind of turned into like okay well i think i'm a lesbian <laughs> i think i don't like boys i think maybe i like boys you know what i just don't like sex and it just kind of flip-flopped for a while and but then you're young I was really young and I was not having sex and I was never close to having sex. Yeah. <laughs> Middle school? Mm -mm. No. No. We're not in favor. It worked out in the end. And then there was another boy in my middle school in my, uh, Fort Bragg who really it was mostly because I saw him able to come out to his mom. He started to buy chest binders and he started wearing different clothes he started using different pronouns and he, and i felt jealous why couldn't i come out you know why can't i come out to my mom why did i have that ache inside of me that makes me want to quote unquote come out of the closet to my very transphobic mother and it was it led to me doing a lot of self-reflection there is a lot of fluidity in life and there's fluidity in gender. And a lot of us say myself, I was born a boy. I was born male and <clears throat> have never had any problem with that. But what I've had problems with are the societal archetypes of what it means to be a boy or a male. Exactly. And I look at you know, so many people who accept the societal archetypes of what it means to be female. And especially with media and social media, that leads to suicidal ideation. Who would guess? Oh, wonderful. It leads to cosmetic surgery. The sexual preference spectrum is a whole different thing. And what people don't really get is that the two are completely separate of each other. They cross over each other, that you can be you know, identified as one thing and you can be drawn to a different direction. Or as so many younger people are seeing now, that you can be sexual. That a lot of people have eschewed homosexual or bisexual and some people even pansexual. It's just you're sexual. And if you love somebody or you feel drawn to that person, that that's your sexuality at the moment. And, you know, gender fluid doesn't have to be a static thing for one's whole life. Yeah, I think that's that's very succinctly put. <laughs> and even recently, like they changed the definition of lesbian. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> when I went to San Francisco, I hung out with some lesbian family friends, and they were very surprised because at some point I mentioned I saw this comic the other day, and I think they changed the definition of lesbian, and they were really weirded out. <laughs> Wait, who is they? When I say they, I mean people online. Which, of course, like it's not like there's a higher up of el of gay elders. <laughs> it's not like there's a council that decides, okay, gay means this, and you're no longer gay, or blah blah blah. And now they're saying that lesbians are non men who love 
non-men, which proves the point that people are going to grow and change all these new labels. They're going to create more. They're going to expand these definitions as time goes on. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, we can, we can go with, I would like to go with Dan Savage's definition of um, there's penis havers and vagina havers. And we've also heard uterus havers. <laughs> can you not have a uterus with or without a vagina? Who knows? See, this is an issue. You can have, uh, you know, that's fluid too, I guess. You have intersex people too. And there's so many variations, which is a whole other thing. Yes. Very much. And that doctors make decisions right when a baby is born that affects people's mental health for their whole life. That's the thing. Is it goes on for so long and there's so much of it and there's new things coming out every day. There's a new gay flag just for gay men. It's beautiful. I'm jealous of the colors. Mm. It's wonderful. I haven't seen it. It's all blue and nice and turquoise. It's great. Oh, blue for guys. But what about what is? <laughs> well, OK, wait a minute. I want to talk about something else because this is all the same same subject, same set of subjects, is the pronoun thing. Yes. And uh, we talked about it some last month. And since then, I had a long conversation with some family members, and they were complaining because they're like, wow, you're trying to change the language again. And I'm like, look, the language is, <laughs> languages are fluid. Languages are not static. And they're like, yes, but the word they and them, those are plural, and you're talking about a single person. And I got my chicken catalog in the mail the other day. This is not from, your fish catalog. No, this is my from the McMurray hatchery where we country queers order our baby chickens occasionally. And this is from Iowa. And I'm looking at a picture of the family and they look like they possibly voted for Trump. But <laughs> they they wrote this is their introduction to the catalog. And it's really actually quite friendly and lovely and. At one point, Tom Watkins, the president and co-owner of McMurray Hatchery, says, recently, quote, recently I was talking about a friend of the hatchery with our marketing director. This friend's experience with us revolved almost solely around social media. When I had a chance to meet them, they walked straight past me and headed to her, and the two talked like old friends. Sounds to me like they're using a plural word for a single person. So my assumption is because there's no clarification here is that they're, they're using a plural word for a single person or these people are actually more progressive than I thought. And they have a person who identifies as they, them in their employee or as their friend. And that's what I would hope, but who knows it's pronouns are fluid too. And we can, we don't have to get stuck on one. Either way, it crushes that point entirely. Because they say in the in the sentence, and the two talk like old friends. Okay, there's two people there, and you either called one of them by their preferred pronouns, or you're just trying to keep them anonymous. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. We have a bunch of people who have thrown in their opinions on pronouns, and let's listen to a few of them. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Why should I bother calling you by she, her, hers? Um, because it's respectful and that's what I want to identify as. Do you feel like pronouns matter? I think that they do matter because, I mean, there will be people that will be, like, born to a certain gender, but, like, they may still feel that gender, but they'll want to be like, oh, I actually want to be called he, him when you're referring to me. Um, and I think they're important to use because it's used kind of as, like, a way of respect and showing that, like, you respect that person. Some pronouns or genders come with certain stereotypes, and if there's one specific way people see pronouns or a gender that you think suits you most, you might want to change to those pronouns because you find that they suit you or the way people see those pronouns suits you. But it's, in my experience, mostly about what you feel like feels right, so if the way people are addressing you just feels like they're addressing someone else, then you might want to change your pronouns. I identify as non-binary, a term which states that someone doesn't fit into society's categories of masculine and feminine genders. To reflect my identity in a gender-neutral way, I ask people to use they-them pronouns when referring to me in the third person. This can be hard to accept and use, but it is important to respect people's pronouns for them to feel that they are in a safe environment and have optimal mental health. 
I use he, they pronouns, so either he, him, or they, them works fine for me. I don't have a preference. Now, why should I care about using your pronouns, and why should you care about using mine correctly? I guess to me, it's just like a respect thing, you know? Like, no matter what your opinion is on trans people and like the usage of pronouns, that may vary from like what your sex is at birth. I just think it's important to respect people and like, you know, you don't have to agree with them, but there's really nothing that you can gain from making people feel bad about themselves just because you don't understand them. So, um, I would say that I think it's important to use mine just out of respect, just as I would use yours out of respect. I think it all just boils down to human decency and whether or not you want to be a tolerant and open-minded human being, regardless of your personal values. That was the voices of five people aged 12 to 22 and one cat. Hi there, my name is Isaac Fishman, local marriage and family therapist, and I'm here with my daughter, Amari Fishman, and her friend, Lydie Potter. What kind of advice would either of you give to parents, friends, relatives, uh, in terms of being more supportive to the LGBTQ community and, and kids, people in general, going through the process of figuring out who they are? A way you can really, like, accept someone or show that you accept them is use the pronouns they prefer and address them as that gender. And another thing that's kind of just a sort of tip, if there's someone non-binary and you're trying to say, like, and you don't know, like, wait, does that mean I call them a girl or a boy? Uh, the term for most, like, things that are between male and female or use all genders is NB. My name is Fava. I'm 25 years old. I live in a small town on Yurok territory in Humboldt County. Rather than allies, I seek to find accomplices. Um, and accompliceship means working from a place of love and respect for one another and a desire to organize together for collective liberation um, rather than just trying to like check a box or avoid saying something politically incorrect or seek direction. Accompliceship is when we find that direction within ourselves, but we're building common ground. And that comes, I think, from actual genuine like love and respect for one another and a desire to care for one another as we're organizing together. For example, there's a, a ton of queers who are openly transphobic and there are cishet people who are seeking direction from and platforming transphobic queers. And it's really important that we don't do that. Hi, my name is Adrian Taylor. I am from Fort Bragg, California, and I am 17 years old. Yeah, I mean, I would consider myself part of the com queer community as I have since I came out when I was 12. I, th I just think it's a really welcoming community and it makes it easier to feel accepted in a world that kind of makes you feel like you're not sometimes. Thank you, Adrian. We are going to go to an interview I recorded last month with Barbara Wexler, a retired attorney who spent much of her career focused upon expanding protection for lesbians and gay men and in the formation of families through adoption, and Barbara's spouse, wife, partner, Sarah Maupin, a licensed retired social worker who spent her entire career working with adolescents in a school-based mental health clinic. How long have you been together? What 31 we, years. 31 years. And counting. <laughs> and when did you first decide to get married? Let's see. We had talked about it when marriage equality became a reality. We talked about it, and I'm an attorney, and I did a lot of work with family law. And I had many clients who had lived together for stray and straight and, and gay, who had lived together for many years, got married, and then were divorcing three years later. So I was kind of like, it ain't broke, let's not fix it. Well, I, I sort of felt probably similarly. We, we got together, we quickly had two children, and felt like that was really the glue of marriage, that... You know, it, no matter what, we had our family, and I didn't really see the need for getting married because I felt like I already was married. Mm -hmm. Our children, you know, they were in their, uh, what, early 20s, late teens, huh. when we were thinking about it, and they weren't pushing it. There are a lot of financial issues, which I had known about. We decided, you know, it's probably smart we were 
in our late 60s, coming toward retirement. And there were a lot of impacts of marriage with Social Security and, and retirement. We decided we had planned a road trip going to all the beautiful states, including uh, Utah, which is not necessarily friendly to uh, our type of marriage. And we decided to elope on our road trip, right? It was our kind of way of sticking it to them. (laughs) (laughs) I went online to find all these officiants in Moab. And honestly, I went through the list and whatever name I liked, I figured, okay, here goes. And I called them and said, let me tell you our story. She paused. There was a big silence. And she said, well, you'll be my first. Nice. So she turned out to be wonderful. Yeah, she and was great. We met her for coffee right after we had gotten our uh, license. And the next day she said, well, I know a beautiful park. And we had our two dogs, but they couldn't be witnesses, unfortunately. She had brought one friend and realized we need another witness. So we looked around the park, so we see this lone man, so we go up to him. The officiant went up to him. Well, the officiant went up to him and said, "Uh, could you come be a witness for us? And he kind of looked around and goes, sure. (laughs) So... And he, he was, was he, he was, was smiling. He and we always joke about him going home later and saying to his wife or whatever, "You'll never guess what happened to me in the park today." Uh, but it was it was very personal experience for us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, a quiet, lovely moment, and that felt right. To you too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of felt like it was just an affirming what we already had. It didn't change anything. It was just sort of like we are married and now we have the legal piece of paper. But but it it did make me feel a little different. Yeah, yeah, I guess it did a little. It's like, I'm married. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that a lot of people who don't necessarily place a lot of importance on marriage get married for family reasons or Mm -hmm. for financial reasons and then find that they actually do experience a a great emotional change with their their feeling for the world, their feeling for their partner. Is do we feel that? Yeah. Yeah, I I I think I definitely felt a whole different step up. And and I don't think I don't feel like it's changed my sense of commitment. But I, I do feel and maybe it's just because I feel now part of the world. I'm a married woman, mm-hmm. you know, rather than a single woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That feels um, significant Yeah. when before. But we had kids, so we we felt married. But yeah. so it's uh, um, so far so good. <laughs> well, I have a number of questions, and one is just to date this. You first got together in 1991. And what year did you get married? You know, um, we got together in 90. We got married in seven. We got together we, when we were 30. We got together when we were 38. And, one of, and during our dinners, when we first were getting to know each other, one of the big questions for both of us we didn't realize is do you want kids? Uh, and we both said yes. <laughs> so, what path did you take? I tried to get pregnant. Of course, I you know, been quite sexually active my whole youth and never with used men. birth control with men. With men, yeah. And never got pregnant. So I didn't quite know that. So I did when I was with Barbara. We tried six months maybe. Yeah, yeah. About six we months. We had a friend and used uh, donated sperm. Yeah, and... reg- you know, and all that. And I just couldn't get pregnant. And I think it's because I have celiac disease. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to get pregnant. Um, we decided to adopt through Guatemala. Guatemala. And how did that go? Really well. Really well. <laughs> we got two beautiful girls. Yeah, we we were lucky. We got connected. Someone had done it through an attorney in Guatemala. So we were matched with a, mo- a birth mother. A, a pregnant a woman. A pregnant woman, yeah. And um, so we kind of followed it along, and then they called us the day Shayla was born and said, you know, you have a healthy girl. We and didn't know if it was going to be a yeah, girl or a boy. Yeah, we had boy. no idea. 
And Shayla is your younger daughter? Our oldest. You're older. Yes. Yes. She's She's now 30. Yeah. And then um, we knew we wanted to have a second just to, you know, give them a sibling. So we went with the same attorney and said we really want to adopt a second child. Not being our daughter by any means. So, um, So we have Shayla and Maya. They're two and a half years apart. And we were really lucky. We, we were, Shayla came to, uh, to live with us when she was four months and Maya when she was six months. six months. And before then, there was no orphanage set up in Guatemala. It was all foster homes that just loved these little babies. Yeah, they, it was the only baby in the house. And know, so they were really yeah, taken care of. And we of. met the foster families and... Um, and, and we actually met Shayla's birth mom. We did. And had some pictures and, and conversation and kept in touch with her for about a year or two. No, and, no, for longer. I, as was I it recall. more than a couple yeah, of years? Yeah, I think it was about, because I remember up to four or five Christmases, we always uh, sent gifts. Yeah. But then the attorney, we would send it through the attorney to her. And the attorney then told us that she had hired a coyote to get into the United States, and they lost touch with her. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, and no one's ever heard from her we, again. Oh, yeah. I know, so. I know. You know it can't be good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the adoption story collides with the immigration story, collides with the marriage equality story. This is Pride Nation 101, and thank you for listening to us on KZYX. We are speaking with Barbara Wexler and Sarah Maupin. Yeah. So, as an attorney, Barbara, you did you investigate the the legality of this before you did it? First adoption for you being a gay couple, and then international adoption. Yeah. One of the issues at the time uh, is... Before domestic partnerships, way before marriage, when gay and lesbian people were just in relationship without any legal status, uh, this started in the late 80s, 1980s. Um, many, I was a young attorney and there were other gay and lesbian uh, young attorneys who were looking at the adoption laws and realized that on the plain language of the laws, it didn't require that adoptive parents be of different gender. It didn't require two, it, so single people. It, you know, this was in the early years of this. So we began talking and writing briefs to the court saying on the plain language, two individuals of the same um, gender who may not be married, uh, it doesn't require marriage either. So uh, King County was pretty, uh, King County, Washington, where we live. Um, They read the laws and they agreed that the real issue in all adoption law is what's in the best interest of the child. That's the overall standard. And they began, and this was very under the radar, approving what's known as second parent adoptions, Hmm. where you didn't have a legal relationship, you were in relationship, but not legally recognized uh, in any way. And um, it was very quiet uh, at the beginning. And that's also when DSHS foster care adoptions uh, sought out gay and lesbians because they needed parents, homes. Uh, homes for these children. And uh, so uh, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was 91 when um, we adopted Shayla. But the hard thing for Sarah is that um, I had to go forward, one of us, and we decided because I looked a certain way on paper, being an attorney or whatever, um, I went forward as a single person adopting Shayla under Guatemalan law. And we both went there, uh, the the attorney understood. So we brought Shayla back here, but we had to wait and Sarah had to wait 
two and a half years mm -hmm. because we didn't do a second adoption of Shayla because Maya. we had to wait till Maya came because it would have made things more complicated with Guatemala. And when yeah. Maya came, uh, we then we did a second parent adoption of both of them mm -hmm. and had quite a, maybe that was our marriage. That was when kind I of our big ceremony. It. We had a lot of people in the At, courthouse. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that then, was kind of like our marriage. Yeah. yeah. And there was a big party here. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't either. That's good. <laughs> so then what did your girls think of you getting married later? They didn't really express much. Well, They're like, okay, whatever. whatever. You do you. <laughs> you know, I have a Thanks. memory, Sarah doesn't, of one of our daughters saying, well, you're kind of old to have a wedding, you know. <laughs> and so they were just, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it made us think, let's, let's make this a private thing for us, you know, because yeah. they didn't seem to envision it and where they would be in it. Right. I think if we had done it when they were like in middle school or high school, it might yeah. have been a little more of a thing. But Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't available then. So, yeah. 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 Well, so many people say, oh, I don't need to get married, but I would get married for kids because it's important that kids have married parents. Right. But then for your kids at that point, it was... A moot point. Exactly. Yeah. They they always felt we were married. Right. I mean, because we were such a family. Yeah. That, and, you know, we're recognized in, in our community, our neighborhood, Seattle. Mm -hmm. so. so I have one last question for you both. Do you find that now that you're married and your daughters no longer live here, that as a married couple, things are more romantic? Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Well... That is a really interesting question because we had always, not grieved, but we were very aware. We got together when we were 38 and moved forward with children pretty quickly. And we always talked about we didn't have a lot of time early on as a couple. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that we became parents pretty quickly um so and now we're both retired you know it's it's more I feel so at home with you yeah yeah you know it'll just be us it's yeah. the stuff we didn't have yeah when before. we now we'll have the freedom to uh yeah, to just explore. explore each other and different places. But it, yeah. it's it's been more. I would say just there is this feeling of family and, yeah. and home with you. Yeah. And, yes. Well, I I'm sitting in your living room now, and your house is really lovely and really homey, and it's full of love, and home a relaxed home is romance it is it is, it is. yeah it is. yeah you're right it is do you have a song or two that you feel is like your song i was thinking back about music and uh how it impacted me as a young lesbian and I, you know like sarah i was bisexual for uh, i would enjoy intimate relationships with men, but I would always fall in love with women. So I would go, every time I broke up with a woman, I'd say, okay, I've had it, I'm going back to a man. So during those early years when I was uh, trying to figure out who I was, there, my, one of my favorite singer-songwriters was Laura Nero. Oh, and she has a, a song called Emmy. And it is about her loving her friend, Emmy. And it's a little ambiguous, but, uh, and she was bisexual. And uh, to me, that song um, just reminds me of uh, being young and trying to figure out and being open about uh, my sexual preference. And uh, so yeah. that But we be... need to work on a song together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Barbara. Oh, thank it's been you. Lovely talking to you. We have Gabriel Sherry on the line, and he has an event that he'd like to tell us about. 
Hi, this is Gabriel Sherry, coordinating community events for the Mendocino Coast Queer Community. The next event will be this Sunday, the 9th, at 2 p.m. at the Noyo Headlands Park. And that is just a fun social walk, rain or shine. We would like to offer some resources and some contact information for anybody who might need it. Roland, what do you have? I would recommend visiting transequality.org, the National Center for Transgender Equality. If you want more of a local touch, we got Blue Door at MCC. They help with a bunch of medical needs. They also have information on being gay and transgender as a young person in Mendocino County. However, if you or anybody you know is considering suicide, please, please consider calling the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Ukiah and Fort Bragg also have Redwood Community Services with a 24-7 crisis line at 855-838-0404. There's also the Trevor Project dedicated to protecting trans and uh, gay lives from suicide at 866-488-7386. That one also has a chat option for online. As we know, we've been talking a lot about transgender issues, but young people who are gay or lesbian and not transgender at all have a lot of serious challenges and have eating disorders at a much higher rate than other people and have other issues that really, with help and support, can be overcome. So please reach out. Don't suffer alone. We want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for spending this hour with us on Pride Nation 101. I'm Roland Coy Medina. And I'm Chad Swimmer. You can check us out at disquietmedia.blue. And if you've got some feedback or just want to say hi, email us at pridenation101radio at gmail.com. Also, you can stream this from the archives of kzyx.org. Just go to the date and the time of the episode. And we would like to leave you with one closing thought from RuPaul. We are born naked. Everything else is just drag. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.